If you have a Bible this morning, I want to go ahead and invite you to turn over to uh, Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, we're continuing our study in the Sermon on the Mount and actually come to the end of one of the main sections of the sermon this morning, a section where Jesus has been talking about hypocrisy, where he's been warning his, his disciples that they're not going to be like, like religious people often are, putting on a show for the benefit of others and for their own brand, the sake of their own brand, rather than genuinely engaging God because they love him. In Jesus' kingdom, in his world that he's come to build things are not going to work like that that's been his point over and over and he's been using he's been using major examples of religious practices that aren't just unique to judaism or now to christianity but that are show up in major religions all over the world he's talked about giving alms to the poor he's talked about prayer and this morning in the passage we come to he's talking about fasting fasting is not just something that jewish people did or that christians have done since jesus came Fasting is something that uh, we just prayed for. The month of Ramadan and, uh, for, for Muslim believers is a month of fasting. Every day is a day of fasting. Fasting is a basic religious practice. It's been around for a long time. It shows up in religions all over the place. There's even secular versions of it. I mean, we, we aren't that familiar with fasting, to be honest. As evangelical Christians here in America, it's not a practice that's very common to us, to many of us. Those of us who do know of it, some of us have been exposed to it by, uh, by Foster's book, Celebration of Discipline, that came out maybe 30 years ago, and, uh, and, and sort of reintroduced Christians in America to this famous age-old practice. Foster mentioned in his chapter on fasting in that book, he mentioned, though, that even though it's fallen out of favor among Christians, that there's even secular versions of fasting that have become more and more popular in 20th century America. He talked about the hunger strike as a kind of fasting, a fasting in which you use your body to make a point. It's almost a, p- a kind of power grab. He talked about dieting as a kind of fasting, where the goal is to impress people, right? I mean, not, not always. There's good, healthy reasons to diet. There are also unhealthy reasons to diet. Those are the ones he was talking about, vanity reasons to, to diet. So we have our even, even our secular versions of fasting. Fasting itself is not unique, and fasting itself is not always good. There's a lot of bad reasons to do it. The question is what you're fasting for. Even better, who it is, whom it is that you're fasting for. That's the real question. Fasting is celebrated in the Bible, in the Old Testament and the New Testament, but it's dangerous. It's celebrated, but it's very dangerous. For example, the the, the prophets in the Old Testament, think of Isaiah in particular, criticized the people of Israel for fasting, not because they love God, but because they thought they could control God by it, using their fast as a kind of input that would generate the output that they were looking for. That's fasting as a kind of hunger strike, as a power grab. And here in Matthew 6, Jesus criticizes fasting as, a, as, as an attempt to prove yourself to other people. So think of fasting as a kind of vanity diet in the, in the sense that Jesus is going to talk about it here. Fasting is about trying to impress other people with how sacrificial you are. Fasting, if it's going to have any, valuable, any value at all, has got to be aimed at God. It's got to be meant to help you focus on Him and to see Him. In other words, you can't be honored for your fasting at the same time that God is honored as the object of your fasting. Just like every other example we've seen here in the Sermon on the Mount, 
Either you're going to get glory or he is. You can't both get glory at the same time. It's a zero-sum game. So either your fasting will bring honor to the object of your fasting, the one for whom you do without, even the most basic need of life, or you're going to get glory for it as the one who's pious and holy, the kind of person people want to be like. In other words, let's put another point on it. Either the cost to you will get attention, sacrifices you make, or the value you gain. Either the cost to you or the value you gain by your, by your sacrifice is going to get attention. One or the other. They don't get it both. At the, you can't get both at the same time. And we want to unpack that idea for the rest of our time together this morning. I want to unpack it. I want to, I want to make sure the example is clear what it is that Jesus means by fasting. Then we want to make sure that the warning is clear, what it is Jesus wants us to avoid. And then we want to make sure that the reward is clear, what it is Jesus wants us to seek after. We're going to hit those three questions quickly this morning to make sure we all connect with what Jesus is saying. I want to begin by reading the text. Would you stand with me in honor of God's word while I do that? There's just a few verses for us this morning from Matthew chapter 6. I'm going to begin in verse 16 and read through verse 18. This This is the word of our Lord. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces and that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head, wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you. This is God's Word. You can be seated. I want to start really quickly by making sure that this example Jesus is using is clear to you. What Jesus means by fasting, because it's become foreign to to our experience, at least for many of us. The main point here is going to be his warning not to be like the hypocrites in their fasting. But, but before we get there, what was, what was standard fasting about? The kind that the Bible did celebrate. What was standard fasting about? And is fasting something I should do? Let me get those questions clear before we move on. Fasting at, at, at a most basic level, fasting means going without food for some period of time for some religious or spiritual purpose. That's what fasting is. Going without food... For some period of time, for some religious or spiritual uh, purpose. It comes up often in the Old Testament. The law, for example, calls for a fast every year on the Day of Atonement. The only one that the law called for regularly as part of the routine of Israel's life. But then, built on top of that one, that was every year, the Old Testament refers to lots of times where people fasted because... It, uh, of some specific thing that came up in the life of the church, or the life of, of Israel, rather. Something that they needed help with. A time where they were facing some sort of critical decision. A time where they wanted to especially show their contrition over sin, remorse. Sometimes fasting would be a physical or outward sign, a lot like wearing sackcloth. You hear the Old Testament talk about sackcloth and ashes, heaping ashes on your head. Fasting would go along with that, a kind of humiliation of yourself as a way of demonstrating how sorry you were for sin. So sometimes fasting was about confession. Sometimes it was about 
seeking after God for help with a decision. Sometimes it was about a huge problem that, that Israel was facing and they wanted deliverance from. But the point, whatever, wherever these occasional as-needed fasts came up, the point was always the same. The point was to express need, dependence, self-emptiness, a, a deep desire for God. That was always the point with Israel's fasting at least as it was celebrated. It was a desire for God's pardon, his friendship, his help, and one way or another for his presence in your life. So so to put a point on it, biblical fasting is always about focusing on God, the kind of focus that's possible when the distraction of food is off the table, pun intended. When you take food off the table especially in the ancient world where it was so difficult to get food, to prepare it, where it took so much time and energy. When you take food off the table, a heightened focus is possible. It was a way of engaging with God, trying to bring his presence into one's life. So so that's fasting as it's presented and celebrated. Is that something we should do as Christians? Before we get into Jesus' warnings and his his promise of reward, first of all, is fasting something that's normal? even necessary for believers today. I think it's significant that Jesus says, not if you fast, here, when when he comes to fasting, he says, not if you fast, don't look like the hypocrites, but when you fast, seems to assume that fasting is happening. Now, it's not exactly a command that you fast, but it's an assumption that fasting is happening, that it's normal. I think that balance between fasting as something that's commanded or fasting as something that's, that's just optional makes sense out of the other place that Jesus talks about fasting. So later on in Matthew, Jesus' followers are actually getting hammered by the Pharisees for not fasting. So Jesus responds to the Pharisees to explain why his disciples don't fast like they do. You claim to be a holy man and your people aren't fasting and Jesus justifies it. Then in Acts, we see Christians fasting sometimes, but not in a routine way. They did it sometimes when something big was happening. They really were seeking after God, but it wasn't part of the routine life of the church that's laid out in Acts chapter 2. And in the letters of the New Testament, where Paul and others are writing to try to explain what the Christian life is looking like, sometimes Paul mentions his own fasting, but he doesn't teach much on it. He doesn't He doesn't describe it as part of the normal rhythm of Christian living. I think you put all those things together and what you've got is this assumption that fasting can be very, very valuable, but you're free to do what you want in it. You're free to pursue it as you feel led to. You're free to do it for the amount of time that seems right. You're free to do it for the occasions that make sense in your life. It's an assumed practice for the Bible, but not a huge focus and certainly not a law. Some of the early Christians, one of the earliest Christian texts that we have is, it describes what Christians were doing with themselves soon after Jesus had left, about 100 years later, actually talk about calling for fasting on specific days. So the Pharisees fasted, I think, on Mondays and Tuesdays. So the early Christians said, well, we're not supposed to fast like the hypocrites, so we'll fast on Wednesdays and Thursdays. And I think that totally misses the point. I mean, we're not, there, there's no system for this. It's an area of Christian freedom can be very useful, the Bible celebrates it, but it's, it's, it's up to us to decide when and how to do it. Maybe you should fast before a major decision. 
Maybe you should fast when you're stuck in a conflict or a difficult relationship where things don't seem to be moving forward. Maybe you should fast when there's somebody you'd love to see respond to the gospel, but they don't seem to have much of, a, much of an interest. You just keep banging up against the wall with them every time you try. Maybe you should fast when there's a sin struggle that you can't seem to shake. You can't find victory in something that, that you know doesn't please God, but, but you can't seem to get free of. Maybe you should fast when you're pushing through a long season of spiritual dryness or you're lacking joy or freedom in your relationship with God. But whatever you settle on, notice the thread here. Times when you especially feel your need for God. Times when you notice a a deep, strong desire for Him. Because fasting in the sense that Jesus means here only makes sense as an act of worship. You don't fast to get God on your side. You don't fast to try to bring him under your thumb. You certainly don't fast to prove yourself to others. Fasting only ever makes sense as an act of worship, as a statement that you make with your body about God. That he is more valuable. That he's more basic to life itself even than bread. He is one that is more satisfying than food could ever be. One who's more fundamental to life than food could ever be. That's the example Jesus has chosen to use. Now I want to move into the warning that he gives because I think this is his main point in this text. He wants to warn us against an error that all of us will be tempted to if and when we choose to fast. It's a warning though that has... I think it has importance for us far beyond fasting. I'm going to talk about what he says about fasting as a way of talking about any kind of sacrifice we might make for something that's good, a good cause, something that's important to God that we might have to give up something in order to seek. This warning that he gives about fasting is relevant to any area in our Christian lives in which we give up something to please God. So let's hear this warning. What is it that Jesus wants us to avoid? Look at what the hypocrites do when they fast. This is verse 16. They look gloomy. They put on a sad face. They even somehow disfigure their faces so that they would be seen by others. They want others to know how hard their lives are. They want others to know how much they're willing to pay to be holy. Their satisfaction in their fasting comes not from God, but from the way others celebrate them. We've mentioned before that hypocrite, this word Jesus keeps using, is is taken from the world of the theater, the ancient Greek theater, and it refers to somebody who puts on a mask. I think it's ironic that Jesus talks about them disfiguring their faces, because literally what they're doing is putting on a mask. One, they're playing a role that they want you to notice and to affirm. They're building a brand. What they want is for other people to notice their sacrifice and think of them as pious. They think of them as a, as a cut above. You know, they're the kind of people that other people wish they were like. That's what they're looking for. They're the ones who, who aren't just coasting through normal lives. They're the ones who are radical. 
who put their money where their mouth is and actually do the things others just wish they could do. So what they notice about fasting and want noticed by others is how hard it is. Their focus is on the hardness of the sacrifice. And what they want from it is attention. Now look at, now look at the contrast that Jesus gives. That's what the Pharisees are doing. Now look at how, how his followers are supposed to fast. They're supposed to anoint their head and wash their face so that no one knows. When they go out, no one is to know that you're even fasting. They shouldn't look gloomy. They shouldn't disfigure themselves. They should be normal. They should carry on as they usually would. And I want to stop right here because I know what you might be thinking. Maybe this makes you cringe. Maybe the image this is bringing up in your mind is of those put-together religious people who never let anyone know that anything about their lives is hard, who pretend that they've got everything going for them to keep others at arm's length, covering up their pain or their struggle, just pretending to be cheerful as if, as if some sort of precondition for being with Jesus is that everything's good in your life. Is that what you thought of when you hear Jesus saying, anoint your head, wash your face, don't let anyone see how hard it is to fast? Don't think that, friends. The Bible says over and over that God is near to the brokenhearted. He saves those who are crushed in spirit. The warning here, what Jesus is warning us against is the opposite error. Not someone who puts on a pretty face to pretend like everything's okay, but someone who so emphasizes what's hard in their life that what they're after is not the honor of God, but the building up of themselves. The real pretenders Jesus is pointing to are those who, in the name of maybe authenticity, wearing the hardness of their life on their sleeve, have turned that hardness into a reason for celebrating themselves. The ones who are pretending are the ones who fast ostensibly for God, ostensibly emptying themselves and humbling themselves, showing their weakness. That's what fasting was for. But in reality, are trying to prove their strength. Fasting not as a demonstration of weakness and need, but as proof of strength and resilience and religious fervor. They wear their sacrifice as a badge of honor. There's nothing self-denying or humiliating about what they're doing. They're hiding what they're really doing beneath a mask. What they really care about is exalting themselves. Their fasting is about them, not about God. Now, before we move on to this reward, I want to make sure we all recognize just how broad this principle really is. Now, let's talk not about fasting. Let's jump from fasting into anything we might do that's hard because we believe it honors God. Anything in the Christian life, anything in life in general that God has called us to as an opportunity for showing our commitment to Jesus, anything that we pursue that's hard can be an opportunity for us to really just try to make a name for ourselves rather than prove the value of the one for whom this sacrifice is worth it. Things like friendship and discipling of others can require huge sacrifices of time 
energy, emotional well-being. When you make those sacrifices and you talk to your other friends about them, would your friends think, based on the way you speak of these sacrifices, that it's worth it to you? Or in your parenting? Parenting is an opportunity for Christian faithfulness. It is a day-in, day-out struggle. It costs you independence. It leaves you exhausted at the end of the day. When you talk about your parenting and the challenges that it brings, would people think that you believe it's worth it? What about service to the poor? cross-cultural missions or volunteering even at church what about child care would people believe, think based on the way you talk about the hardness of these things that on balance you believe it's worth it ultimately Jesus is warning us against doing hard things in order to be seen doing hard things he's warning us against the pretended authenticity that talks about just how hard it is but never gets to why it's worth doing something hard because in that in our tendency to draw attention to the sacrifices we make or to crave affirmation or acknowledgement of our sacrifices we show that we have the heart of the hypocrite Would you be unhappy or unfulfilled in the hard things you're doing if no one saw them or affirmed them? Do you find yourself struggling often with self-pity? Do you often make subtle or not so subtle comments about the sacrifices you're making? Do you find yourself fixating on how others aren't sacrificing the way that you are? Do you feel, in other words, isolated in the hard things of your life? Do you feel hurt or disappointed by the fact that others aren't acknowledging or celebrating your sacrifices? I think these questions help us to see that we, 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 all of us tend towards a hypocrite. I don't think Jesus is warning us against being honest about the hard things in our lives. I think he's warning us against letting the hard things in our lives be the only thing we talk about. Be a thing we use to brand ourselves as those who are laying it all on the line. Jesus wants us seeking something else. He wants us to avoid the kind of sacrifice for the kingdom that brings glory to us. And he wants us seeking a kind of sacrifice for the kingdom that gets paid off by God himself, by the object of our desire, by him who is our reward. What does Jesus want us to seek? He wants us to seek the reward that comes from God and only from God. He wants us embracing the one true motive for faithful fasting and beyond fasting for any other sacrifice that we might make as Christians. He wants us seeking the reward that God gives to those who want Him and live as if He's the only one watching.
Friends, if God isn't what you seek, you'll never be okay when people don't notice you. Your sacrifices will never seem worth it unless he's the reason you sacrifice. But if he's what you want, he's what you get. Here in this example, just like in both of the other examples, Jesus contrasts the reward the hypocrites get with the reward his people get. The hypocrites get their reward. They get exactly what they're looking for. They'll be clapped on the back as people who are what I wish I was. They'll be celebrated and affirmed as those who really get it. Those who are laying it all on the line. And then that's all they get. They're done. Their reward is, 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 is come and gone. Jesus calls us to seek the reward that is given to those whom the Father sees in secret. And that reward is clear all through the Bible. That reward is God. His friendship, His nearness, and His help. So when you fast, without trying to be noticed for your fasting, when all that you really care about in your fasting or in any other sacrifice you're making for the kingdom, when what you really care about is that God sees the measure of your desire for Him in the things you're willing to give up, then God will reward you by giving you exactly what you want. Here's another way to put it. In light of what God gives you, if, if the sacrifices you're making through fasting or some other service, if those sacrifices are aimed at Him, then sacrifice shouldn't ultimately seem like sacrifice. I want to be careful here. I don't want you to hear me saying that you should pretend like things aren't hard. Jesus never calls us to pretend. He hates pretending. This whole section is against hypocrisy. People who act and look one way but really are another way. He's not telling you not to be honest with people about the hard things in your life. Even the hard things you're doing on behalf of the church and God's purposes in the world. He doesn't mean that we should walk around like superheroes made of steel. That's not what he's saying. We should be honest about our weakness. Fasting itself was, a, was, was meant to show weakness. That's the whole point. They don't, don't hide how hard your life is. That's not the point. But the, but the bottom line should never be what we're giving up. The bottom line should always be what we're getting. God is always the bottom line of any sacrifice that makes sense in the Christian life. And that's why sacrifice shouldn't ultimately feel like sacrifice. When the hard thing becomes the main thing, you're the one who gets the glory, not the object for which you make the sacrifice. So, here's, this, this was the title for this morning. This is the question I really want to ask. Do you want people to notice how costly this thing is? Or do you want people to notice how valuable God is? Is what God asks of you in your Christian life something that you want noticed for the costliness of it to you or for the value that it brings to you? What's the takeaway you want people to have from your life? When you comment on your sacrifices, do people think it's worth it to you? Not that it's easy, but they know it is what you want. 
You are choosing this road because it's worth it. My wife has gotten really into gardening the last couple of years. It's been really fun to watch, especially the beautiful flowers that are resulting from it. And I don't like that work. I don't, I don't, I don't like gardening. That's a distraction from a good day for me. It's a big part of a good day for her. She doesn't even seem to see the work. When, when, her, when her hands are in the dirt and it's hot outside and she's in a really, in one, in one sense, really uncomfortable place, what she's noticing about that is the, the joy of investing in something she's going to get to see later. What she's got in her mind's eye are the hydrangeas and what they'll look like come summer. Not the hours that it took to get them in the ground. Not all the relentless watering of them day after day after day. She sees the flowers, not the work. The focus, her focus is on what she's going to obtain, not on how she has to get there. When the sacrifice is the point, we get the glory. Oh, look, how, look how much work I put into this. As if the flowers weren't worth it. When the flowers are the point, the flowers get the glory. When God is the point of the sacrifices we make, God gets the glory. And actually, friends, the harder our lives are, the more significant the sacrifices, the bigger statement that we make about Him. We're saying, look what I just did. Look how much time I gave to that person. Thanks be to God, it is absolutely worth it. Look what He's doing here. I get to see it. I'm on the front row. The point is the sacrifice, we get the glory. When the point is what we get from the sacrifice, then the bigger the sacrifice, the bigger the glory that goes to the object. And we have no better example here than Jesus. One of our favorite passages about him and what he's done, a passage used as an example for how we're supposed to live, is Hebrews chapter 12. The beginning of Hebrews chapter 12, we're told to run a race that's set before us. All of life, like a race, run to the finish. We're told to cast off the things that are weighing us down, the sins that so easily entangle us and weigh us down, and to look to the future, to the prize. And then we're given Jesus as our ally and our model. Look to Jesus, that author says, the founder and the perfecter of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. I love that language, don't you? He despised the shame. He was shamed. He was stripped down and put on display. Everyone saw him at his worst moment, and he couldn't hide. And he said, yeah, that's not going to be fun. Father, take the cup from me, please, if there's another way. But your will be done. And he despised the shame. Shame, what shame? He saw the crown set in front of him. He saw the joy of worshiping the Father along with people from every tribe and tongue and nation that got there because of him. He saw that joy in his future and he said, shame? What shame? And the Hebrews author calls us to follow Jesus and say, sacrifice? What sacrifice? For the joy that's set before us. Friends, you can't be honored for your sacrifice at the same time God is honored for his precious value. People are going to notice the cost or they'll notice the value. They won't see both. 
What do they notice about your life? Father, we want our lives as individuals and we want our community as a subculture in this city, our local church, to testify to your value to the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus the Lord, for, against which all else is counted as loss and nothing but trash. And we don't feel that way now, not like we wish we did. So thank you for calling us to account by your word, and now we pray that your spirit would give us what we need to bring you glory through the lives that we live together. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.